On this episode of the Funeral Cast, we have part two of our fictional funeral ceremonies. But first, a word from our sponsor. Do you like reading about embalming? Well, I have good news for you. Frigid Fluid now has a blog written by myself, Ben, Dr. Damon De La Cruz, and Amanda King, where we find ways to help you take small steps towards a better embalming future. Simply visit frigidfluid.com and find the Frigid Blog tab at the top of the page. All right, welcome back from that wonderful ad from our sponsor. Uh, Okay, Jessica, why don't you tell us your fandom, and what culture of that fandom is. So the fandom that I chose was Star Trek. Okay. And most specifically, the Klingon death rituals. Okay, here we go. So I'm going to give a little bit of backstory. Can I explain like kind of why I chose this as well? Absolutely. And then uh, tell us also kind of where it fits into the bigger picture of the fandom, right? I think people kind of know, but we don't want to assume, you know, so go ahead. Absolutely. Um, so my, uh, I grew up as a tiny little nerd. And as I evolved into the nerd I am today, Star Trek was a huge part of um, my like introduction into science fiction and uh, voyage exploration. Um, most specifically, Star Trek The Next Generation. And in Star Trek The Next Generation, we are introduced to, canonically at the time, the first logical and more human emotion, but also struggling with his Klingonness, Klingon, Worf. Um, Worf was and still is very close to my heart. Um, what I liked about Worf was that we finally, through Worf, got a more clear and well-defined picture of Klingonness. Um, Worf is one of the first Klingons to ever go through Starfleet Academy. Um, historically, Klingons are the big bad, so they're not really on cool terms with Starfleet in general, obviously. Um, and so Worf also struggles with being a Klingon versus wanting to be a good uh, Klingon to like serve Starfleet. And so he's constantly going through these battles, especially in next gen of, okay, so this is like the Klingon me, but also this is the I don't want to say like humanoid because Klingons are humanoid, but this is the like passionate human-esque Klingon. Um, we're actually introduced to Klingon funerals or Klingon funeral rites in, um, I think it's the voyage home where Spock starts to uncover some of the Klingon rituals where like there are certain sects of Klingons who are, um, a little bit more stoic about Klingon death because to be Klingon is to honorably die as a warrior fighting. A lot of times people don't really, or Klingons don't really get old and just die. Um, To die in battle is to die with honor. And so where this all kind of fits into a lot of what you are looking for is it's a very it's a very interesting aspect there are a lot of different cultures that are i feel like 
picked at through a Klingon death and a Klingon funeral ritual. Um, and it, it's fascinating because it's so brutal and it's so guttural and it's so primal. But at the same time, there are certain aspects of a Klingon death that almost you wish you could tie into a humanistic death. Like, for example, when a Klingon warrior dies, you are to open their eyes and see them, literally see them die. Like, it's crazy, right? Super brutal. You Completely into different their... than what we do as humans in most cases, right? Yeah, we're like, I, I don't need to... Mm. Um, but you are to physically open their eyes, stare into their eyes as they're taking their last breath, and then you look up to the sky and you let out the deepest yell, like the deepest keening type scream to let Stovakar know that a warrior is coming. Stovakar's being their god or god of battle or sort of like Odin the Allfather or whatever with the yeah. Norse mythology, that kind of thing, right? Essentially, yeah. So you're letting okay. you're letting the the rest of the the dead know that someone they are to be receiving a new warrior. Um, but Stovakar is overseeing that those those other uh you know uh warriors who have fallen. And then their body is either simply discarded because it is but a shell, or again in those specific sects of Klingon. Um, which I think that was like also delved in a lot deeper in Star Trek Discovery. Some of them are placed in sarcophagi, kind of like Egyptians. Interesting. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know that much about Klingons, but I did see the first few movies and I have seen some of uh, TNG, as the kids call it, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, like that's, I have always uh, equated the Klingons with um having a lot of symbolism in their culture um you know a lot of weaponry and military sort of discipline but in kind of an ancient way and you know i always thought they had the coolest looking ships too and they're called the birds of prey so like obviously that's really rad so yeah and then you know obviously as you mentioned they were the villain in the original sort of Star Trek crew, and they had a good, they were a good foil for sort of the relaxed attitude that Kirk had, you know, um, and then, um, you know, at some point, what happened? There was a piece, is that the end of Voyage Home that they did that? When was it that they did that? Yeah, so Voyage Home, and then it comes up again in the Undiscovered Country, where... Uh Everything is really, really chill, but then there is a really brutal takedown of the Klingons. Spoiler alert, even though that was the mid-90s. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Klingons, there were Klingons who were a lot more old school who were just like, you guys need to stop what you're doing and stop being friends with the human. We're just going to kill you and blame it on, like, the humans. Um, so... That led us to, I think, where we got to with Worf, where it was just like, no, we can all be, we can cohabitate, we can have these more relaxed and calm. But there was always that infighting, too, where it was just like, I know we're friends, but like, also, what if we cloak ourselves and then just appear and we're doing horrible things? Like, it's just, it's it's such a, it's such a back and forth where they're constantly fighting within themselves, too, to be this 
supposedly barbaric race, but also all of their pride and all of that honor in being someone who it's interesting because it I know this is not the time to talk about it, but it like reminds me of that toxic masculinity of like, I'm a big brutal man, but it's also like, no, like it's okay to have feelings too, but also like you can be a really awesome, brave warrior and also have a soft side, get married a couple times, Worf, you know, like <laughs> have a child. Join Starfleet, right? Yeah. <laughs> like be cool with everybody. Yeah, and I think it bears uh like uh mentioning too that Worf was the head of security on the Enterprise when he joined. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So, so he still was able to balance kind of that uh warrior uh mentality. Megan, what do you think about Klingon funerals? So I am unfortunately not as familiar with Star Trek, but that is absolutely fascinating that even though that they in my perception of them was that they they are the villain that they are just so violent um that they have such an interesting culture and traditions i did not see that coming uh jessica do you speak any klingon (laughs) i used to um (laughs) not even gonna lie um (laughs) i So one of the things that I really, I think that always drew me to Klingon culture, if you will, is just the fact that all the things that were like, oh no, like you can't do that in proper society. Klingons are like, how about I literally just scream and am angry about how I may have dishonored my family or like, I'm literally feeling a feeling and I'm going to feel it right now. Very, very holy within my entire body. Um, and they don't apologize for it because that's just how Klingons are. Um, but yeah, no, I used to speak Klingon and it used to be one of those like fun party tricks that my parents would roll out and be like, Jessica, speak. It was Shakespearean Klingon, by the way. Okay. Ooh. Now there's a different sort of nerddom that we're going <laughs> You're welcome. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 all once a nerd, always a nerd forever and ever. That's okay. There's no reason not to lean right into that. You know, I mean, why not? We got to be entertained. You know, I, I walk the line myself a lot. I really like, like watching sports a lot. And like, Mm -hmm. despite the fact what people say, that's a version of nerddom too. Right. So, uh, (laughs) especially when you have all the math and the numbers and stuff. All right. Okay. Megan, any last thoughts on Klingon before we take our break here? yeah i think i'm yeah i I think i've kind of gotten everything i can get right now okay that's good sorry um yeah i don't know i'm inspired to learn a little bit more about it i guess um yeah maybe i'm gonna go watch some more that i haven't (laughs) i i think i'm gonna go dig into this a little bit more yeah can you tell us where the next generation or ntng is streaming jessica oh boy um so let's see we rewatched tng uh okay so i'm just gonna let's put this out there so the next gen i think was on netflix originally it might be on amazon i would also recommend um deep space nine now a lot of people this is a whole separate tangent a lot of people feel that deep space nine is incredibly boring but i also would say deep space nine is incredibly political all of star trek is (laughs) um so yes it it can be a little bit slow but there is a lot of really good especially klingon specific 
stuff as Worf moves from the next generation into Deep Space Nine. And then, of course, Star Trek Discovery as well. Um, but don't skip the movies either. No, they're great. Um, especially the Leonard Nimoy ones that he yes. directed. Those are some of yes. the best. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. So I did find that it is available. The Next Generation is uh, available on Paramount, Netflix, and Prime Video. So you can watch it all there. And I would also like to point out that both in Dune and The Next Generation, we have the forever ageless Patrick Stewart uh, yes. roles in both of those shows. So if you are a fan of Patrick Stewart, but now that's for you. All right. So on that note, we are going to take a break and then we will come back and we will hear from Megan about what her funeral ceremony is. In 1891, Albert Richardson invented the butter churn changing the game in the food industry forever. Three years later, he invented something game-changing for the funeral industry, the casket-lowering device. Twenty years later, Frigid received their first patent for a lowering device and has been hand-making them in North Lake, Illinois for over a hundred years. Seriously, people, they have an anvil right next to their modern fabrication equipment. Their quality lowering devices can be found all over the world, and they are backed by their maintenance and support staff. The next time you're at a graveside service for someone special, either as the funeral director or attendee, look for those cursive letters that spell F-R-I-G-I-D. All right, and we are back from that word from our sponsor. Megan, I know you've been waiting patiently this entire time. Please lay it on us. What is your fandom and what culture are we going to be talking about from that particular fandom? Well, I am a huge nerd when it comes to the Lord of the Rings. So I decided to focus on the Roharim. Say it again. Um, the Roharim. Which... Roharim? Is that how you say it? Yes. Okay. Roharim, Roharim, um, which are the horse lords. Okay. Um, can you expand on that a little bit more? I don't know anything about Lord of the Rings other than like the hobbits. That's all right. I got you. Um, so they are one of the multiple uh, races in the Lord of the Rings. Um, and they are basically men who are knights and they are known for their skills with horses. They fight on horses. They are very deeply connected to their horses um it's men there's women in there but it's a patriarchal society i don't want to give too much away regarding okay. them okay um yeah so it kind of backing up a little bit to the very very beginning even though i think most of us know that the lord of the rings itself is a trilogy it was you know the hobbit there's hobbits on um, the first book was the hobbit and then tolkien was encouraged you can't see me making my air quotes um by his um i completely forgot the word for publisher there oh got it (laughs) (laughs) sorry about that um to write more children's books which obviously the lord of the rings are not children's books i've never (laughs) equated it with kids no (laughs) (laughs) and he said i'm gonna do what i want to do and he wrote the Lord of the Rings. Um, okay. <laughs> but so the Hobbit is actually the very beginning of that. 
And before that, there was also the Silmarillion, which is very important to funerals in Middle Earth because all of Middle Earth was actually created by Eru Iluvatar through song. So when there are funerals in Middle Earth, there's a lot of singing when it comes to the races of men. Now, I would mention the importance of races of men because there's a lot of other races as well, like elves, dwarves, and orcs. And one thing that's really going to separate the Raharim from orcs is their reverence for the fallen comrades. For example, the orcs, they don't really care. Um you fall they're gonna just leave you where you fall they they might eat you um so um i don't want to give too many like spoiler alert but there is a kind of famous quote of that if there's someone that burns it's because they're gonna burn like a pagan king okay so in the race of the raharim then they have this reverence where if they were to fall during battle in this funeral that I am describing, they not only are going to have reverence for the men, but for the horse as well, because they are so deeply connected. The riders would gather together and make a beer out of their spears and carry that fallen comrade off of the field and back to hopefully Minas Tirith. And once they get there, especially if that person was a person of high importance, like a king, while it's not specifically spelled out, we do know that there could be an extended period of time, up to a month, between that battle or that that death and the time that they're actually buried. So, Okay, so they're hanging on to that person for quite a while is what you're saying. They're, they are. Um, so we can kind of imply there's there's some skilled workers there, probably some embalmers. Okay. He doesn't use the word, but. Um, and then there's a long procession. They're, that person is buried with their most prized possessions, their swords, their gold, their cups, their finery. And they're going to be processed through the streets, led by their banners. They're singing the people in their family that are most important to them. And they're going to be taken to a burial mound that's going to be covered in grass and flowers. And there's going to be more singing. And then once the weeping has stopped, there's going to be a giant feast. Love that. (laughs) Lots of feasting. And then one thing that's really important is their name is not going to be forgotten. It's going to be brought back into song and continued on and con- continued on and continued on. So every time that they do this ritual again, their name's going to be remembered. So. So, so for all of the horse lords, so say John dies and then Bob dies. They also talk about John at, at Bob's funeral as part of the song. Yeah. Especially if they are someone really important we're going to continue to remember these people yeah um 
uh, that's pretty rad, actually, that they, that this is always kind of like this thing, but like that also lends itself to like a really long funeral if you have like a lot, if you have like a lot of people in your family. I guess I'm just making an assumption that it's a, a family. Is it a familial thing? Is there some sort of like connection there? Is it just like everybody from their community and the history of it? How does it work? It's historical. It's open to everyone. It's per- that's part of why the passing through the streets goes through the whole town because the implication is that then you just join in. So it's a communal event. It's not just one person. Oh, okay. So maybe it's not like you sing it in order. It's just like you sing for the person that you lost or is that yeah, how you, Exactly. You sing for the person that you lost and then if it's listing of the kings, one person is going to sing all of the kings or all of the nobles, and then you're just going to keep singing and you're going to keep toasting and you're going to keep singing, which kind of leads to why we're going to keep feasting and we're going to keep drinking and we're going to keep singing. <laughs> we didn't get everybody for sure. Yeah. Right. Oh, we forgot John. <laughs> Let's do another one. <laughs> <laughs> to John, which John? The, all of them. Yeah. All of them. The ones that we forgot and the ones we remembered um yeah i really like that too it's um a group community funeral song um have you ever thought about um what the tune of it was like to, to what tune you know sweet child of mine you know the alphabet song mm. Now that's a good question. It's always tough to read songs in books. Yeah. Because, like you, you hear the lyrics, but you might, or you read the lyrics, but you're not really like, like, what is the song? Like, how, how does it go? It's just a poem at that point, right? But right. Are there, are there specific like verses where a name gets entered or is it, um, is it just like you are singing your person's name? Sub question what instruments are we playing? So really, that's kind of up to the imagination. Mm. Yeah. I picture a lot of drums. I feel like yeah. with the military, there's got to be some drums. You know, it's kind of a march, right? But also yeah, with the Lord of the Rings, is it like all... Sorry, not to cut you off. Is it no, also please. like um, a little bit more wind instruments is it a little bit more um tambourine-ish is it a little bit more not maracas but maraca-esque yeah i know that's the direction that they went in the movies Mm -hmm. um and in the books at, at least what's kind of implied in the way that I've always read it has definitely been the winds and the drums because of the marching and the walking. And then as they keep going and they keep feasting, it definitely gets more lighthearted. So I always envision there's probably more strings there because it's probably hard to walk and place a string instrument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Drums, woodwinds. Sure. Yeah. I don't honestly, other than drums, I figure like, you know, that's one of the most basic human instruments to just beat the stick on something else. Uh, you know, I don't really know about any of the instruments that go there. So wait a minute though. You also said that they honored their horse. So do they have a separate section for horses? Like it's horse time, everybody, like however the song goes. Um, or is it like they say John and then Secretariat, like his horse name right by him? 
unfortunately really the horses don't make it into the song oh. unless they did something really big um but they do get their own headstones oh <laughs> yeah they get a burial mound and they get a stone so yeah. usually kind of where they fall because kind of hard to move a horse but they don't have strong enough spears to make a beer out of that and then carry it back <laughs> <laughs> maybe if they really tried but i think they're so focused on the people they're like <laughs> sorry we know we can lift this guy with six to eight spears right <laughs> like, but the, no the, the, now they're just snapping <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah we don't have enough spears we use them all in battle we'll just leave the horses here that's that's where it's going to go. You know, as you were telling your story, and then I was reflecting on the 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 Klingons, and I was also thinking about the Fremen. I didn't really talk about it, but the Fremen are considered to be fierce warriors. So I think it's kind of interesting that we all ended up choosing um, sort of warrior culture as being the um, one that has a lot of symbolism. What do you think about that? Either one of you. Do you have an impression of that? I mean, I have an immediate thing. I was in the Navy for seven years and there's so much ceremony when it comes to the military. So whenever I think about, you know, like now putting it all together, I'm like, well, yeah, it makes total sense that these warriors would have symbolism that is attached to um, sort of their warrior culture, right? Because you give this idea that you're like giving your life for the greater good, you know? I think it's interesting that all of, aside from uh, like all of them being warriors that there is an honor both in dying and an honor in the the remembering of them and I think that it's kind of funny because anytime especially when I'm working with a family or trying to bring out to people like the importance of the funeral ceremony itself honor is always something I talk about. Like you want to honor your person. You want to bring that honor into what you're doing. It's an honor to be able to help a family, you know, and support them as they are trying to figure out the best way to reflect how to, again, honor, not to like beat a dead horse. Sorry, no offense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, too <luck>. soon. Um, <laughs> I mean, is it too soon? It's been out for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but like, there's, there's so much when we think of funerals, we think of how you're honoring your person. And when you think of honor, you think of warriors. And I think that, and when you think of warriors, then you think of ceremony and it's a very cyclical way to look at the funeral itself and the act of having a funeral. For sure. Right. And, you know, and then also, I guess, kind of when it comes to, um, you know, fiction, especially when it comes to like science fiction and fantasy and stuff, a lot of the stuff is really accented with battles as turning points. Right. So that would be the time that it's illustrated when a person is lost and then they take some time. You know, I'm just trying to like run through my mind of the different sort of science fiction universes I'm familiar with. And it, it seems like it's rare when characters just get old, right? And then die. Sometimes it happens, but even then they're like, 
okay, it's like some king or whatever, and it's a stately funeral, but it doesn't have the same sort of feeling in the sense that, you know, somebody gave their life for something, even, you know, um, in Dune, it's noted like um, uh, that a lot of people die in that book, trillions over the course of the six chronicles. And even that is noted as a tragedy, even though, you know, it's a lot of faceless humans on planets for a very religious reason. I don't want to go into it too much, especially now that we have a third movie announced. Um, but anyway, so it is it is very much like um, that because it's a, a war, right? There's a, a war that happens. So, yeah, so it's a, like a little bit different that it's um, it creates a more of a connection because you saw people at their best and then die for it. I guess I don't know. I don't. I'm just thinking out loud now. I don't know. What do you What do you ladies think? I feel like one of the major ways to create um, to move a character forward as a plot device also comes in the death of one of their like someone that they were close to, presumably, especially again in science fiction or in a kind of different a fantasy world possibly someone that they've been fighting with or like not with but like on a team with or um on a quest with so when that major event happens and it's a, a it's utilized as a plot device that then changes the characteristics the personality the viewpoint of that character um and i, I mean one of in in to tie back to star trek again multiple times Worf has lost people that have changed his way of thinking his outlook his path forward his figuring out do I want to go back to being a Klingon warrior do I want to continue on Starfleet do I want to see where that path takes me so those are always really great turning points and plot devices when it comes to a fallen warrior a fallen fellow comrade of some sort so yeah, that's the, without, you know. that's the literature template of the hero's journey, right? It's like yeah. at the beginning, they have to lose something or somebody and then they fight for something and they lose another person that's close or, you know, something like that. And then, you know, maybe they make it to the end, maybe they don't, um, you know, to meet their ultimate goal. So I suppose that's, I, I guess that's, it never gets old. We just talked about three different versions of it our own way, yeah. essentially, you know, so all right, any last thoughts before we wrap this up, ladies? Nothing? I feel like I've talked a lot, so I don't want to talk a lot more. That's okay. I've talked a lot too, but I guess it's my show, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to. Be kind of weird if I didn't. <laughs> Megan, any last thoughts? Fremen, Klingons? Hmm. I think kind of going off of what you were saying earlier sorry to keep going back to it but I think what really stood out to me was that even though we all picked such different cultures that and that they're all warriors that we've got humanistic and monotheistic that that's what ties it all together they are all warriors like that's just so fascinating to me that somehow we managed to do this yeah right without talking to each other uh, <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's they're tr they're so different but yet yeah other than here's the one that we're doing so nobody else would pick it that's kind of <laughs> the end of it right so yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyways, great job, ladies. I'm glad that you shared this with us. I've learned uh, more about Star Trek. It turns out I actually knew more than I thought I did. And then um, I actually learned something about Lord of the Rings um, uh, as well. So um yeah, I hope, and I also hope that people will also reach out to me and share their fictional funeral ceremonies, you know, because one of the things that I think anyway, when it comes to good literature or storytelling is the world building, you know, and, and funerals are at the very least in the background about it, you know, if they're not front and center with the cultures that are created by the authors or, you know, the writers of, or whatever, I guess, Star Trek has always started from a television show. Have you read any books on Star Trek? I've, I mean, I know they're out there, but I've never heard anybody like, you got to read this Picard's end. <laughs> I mean, I've read some comics that have like tied into some of the movies or comic versions of movies and stuff like that. Um, but I've never really dove into the the books. Okay. Yeah, me either, obviously. I feel like there's a lot of like video visual media there that people maybe they don't follow it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the nerds are gonna come after me now. They're like, oh no, people really love the Star Trek books. I'm like, okay, we'll have at it then. That's, That's fine. What I was worried about people are gonna be like, oh, actually, canonically, blah 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 blah. And I'd be like, um, actually, just watch next gen, please. Right. <laughs> That's what I was worried about. I'm like, someone's going to correct me. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's okay. You know, that's the thing. I wanted to have people who really cared about the stories. And in my case, like, I literally just read all six of the Dune books right in a row. Oh, my God. Fresh on my wow. mind. It was really wonderful. Like, I'm I'm super excited about the movies. and nice. I, The Lynch one, like, I don't care how bad people think it is. Like, Oh, it's crazy. I love it. <laughs> But the it's whole, fascinating. The whole Dune universe is, is crazy. And so if you like the idea of science fiction and you like the idea of David Lynch in control of a science fiction story, like, go on with it, right? So... Who doesn't want to watch Sting wear a diaper? I have no idea, right? Um, you know, when I was a kid, I would go to the library. There were um, uh, three, I think it was three audiobooks. Like, you know, back in the 80s, we had to like we would have tapes that would go along with the books to read them to us and one of them was the empire strikes back mm-hmm. the other one was david lynch's dune yes i was like six okay this is not a movie for kids at all not even remotely and then the other one was gremlins another movie that oh my god <laughs> right? that's how we live back oh. then though right <laughs> that that you that you had these terrible things that were somehow distilled down for children right i don't i don't know what it was so I remember that Gremlins one because yeah, it was in the, you know those plastic bags with the little. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. the little the white man. I lived it. Definitely, for sure. <laughs> yep, that was the one, and I used to stay up at night listening to "My Name Is a Killing Word." Oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're all funeral directors, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. But that's how we got here. That's how we got here, right? Well, I mean, that's the thing. We read this stuff. We watch this stuff. We see the value of the the ceremony because it affects us when our favorite characters or cultures or we connect with it in that way. And then um, here we are talking about it several years later on a podcast hosted by some nerd, right? All right. <laughs> so on that note, we're going to go ahead and say goodbye or and um, 
uh, again, thank you for coming and uh, sharing your uh, fandom with us. Uh, I hope that the people out there listening to this um, connect with one of our stories and um, look into it. So get smarter by reading and or the teachings of Jean-Luc Picard, right? Always. Okay. All right. Bye, everybody. Would you like to share your thoughts on any of the topics we discussed today? We'd love to hear them. Email your thoughts to bschmidt, that's B-S-C-H-M-I-D-T, at frigidfluid.com, and I'll read them on the show.